Jesus, show us your goodness and lead us to live in the light of it as we look to your word today. Uh, transform us to be more like you. Let us be people who follow you genuinely. Lord, who understand what that means, that it is not some throwaway statement to follow Jesus, but we know the road that you have walked and we follow you on it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Second week of our launch series for 2024, which uh, I've given the potentially unsettling title, Radical, Abandon Yourself and Follow Jesus. Because that is the call of the Christian life. As we heard in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer last week, who, a man who suffered under the Nazi government of Germany for his uh, faith and for his opposition to that oppressive regime in the name of Jesus, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Not just a death that is the loss of physical life, but the death of the old person to make way for the new. If anyone is in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is consistently what Jesus called people to, whether it was his disciples who left their nets and left their tax booths and left their lives and livelihoods and followed him, or the rich young ruler who he told to sell all that he had and, come and give to the poor and come follow him, or the many, many others that we could look to, he called them to come follow him and leave their old selves behind, to abandon themselves and follow he calls us to be like people who have found great treasure in a field and, and in our joy sell all that we have in order to have that treasure. The call to follow Jesus is the call to radically abandon everything else in order to follow him. And at the same time, the call to follow Jesus is the call to find treasure greater than the world has to offer you. So following our radical saviour, Jesus, the Christian life must never be nominal, must always be radically sold out for him. Now, if you were here last week, I hope none of that sounding new to you, because this is basically recap. But, but understand, this whole series is kind of just intended as an urgent call upon us to live lives which are so affected by Jesus that we are radically different to the world around us. And today, and over these coming weeks, we're going to look at some of the specific ways in which that works out, in which it's true. How are we here in Australia in 2024? I actually wrote 2023 into my sermon. It took me a while to figure out that was wrong. In 2024, how are we to live out the radical discipleship of following Jesus as his people today. And today, we're going to look at the radical generosity of the Christian life. Now, if you're like me, you heard the word generosity just now, and you probably thought immediately about money, right? Like, that's, that's where we go. We, um, we live in a very money-centered culture and money-centered world, really. Uh, when we think of helping people, we think of giving them money. Or better still, we think of giving money to an organization who will then give money to someone to help them. Uh, now, that's not wrong. You know, we do that. Uh, that's, that's a form of generosity, but it's not 
all that generosity is. And when we limit generosity there, we, we, we really miss the heart of the issue. And so today I'd like to um, broaden our view of the radical generosity of the Christian life as we dig into how the Bible sees generosity. Uh, and first we're going to look at the, the radical generosity of Jesus, our Saviour. Uh, the best way to find out what it looks like to follow Jesus is, fairly unsurprisingly, to look at Jesus, to look at the one that we're following. And the example of generosity that we get in Jesus is, is deep and it is wide and it is radical. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to be jumping around the Bible a bit today, as you may have guessed from the short, diverse readings we had before. But In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes, "'You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, in that context, Paul is calling for financial generosity. The Jerusalem church is starving, they are in famine, um, and, and he's calling other churches to contribute towards the needs of their brothers and sisters. Uh, but notice the generosity of Jesus is so much bigger than that. It's so much more than just financial. Though he was rich, Paul says, and we might be led to ask, you know, what does that mean? Does he mean that Jesus had a bunch of cash? Did Jesus have a bunch of cash? And the short answer to that is obviously yes. Um, in some sense, yes. Jesus is the God of heaven. Psalm 50 says that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Now, that's not trying to limit him to just a thousand hills. Uh, the point is that there is, he's the God of heaven, everything belongs to him. The point being made there is, you know, he doesn't need anything from you, it's all his anyway. And when Jesus comes as a man, when he came as a man, he gave that up. He stepped down to be the son of a poor group of pair of parents. He, he chose to be born in a feed trough. But it's more than just the loss of money and stuff, isn't it? Like a lot more than that. Jesus generously gave up his position and his privilege for you. Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Imagine, imagine the generosity of heart required for the infinite to take on finiteness. Not just finiteness, right? Like he didn't, doesn't come down as the king of everything, he comes down as it, lowly. Jesus generously gave up his comfort and his ease and replaced them with pain and suffering. True of his whole life, by the way, but, but nowhere more so, more evidently than the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he said it knowing that he would take up a literal cross, carry it and die for us. By every measure, we have a generous saviour who is generous from the heart. With his stuff, with his finances with his status, with his time, with his, with his relationships. You know, do you see that in Jesus? We, 
What am I trying to say here? He, you know how you feel like you've only got space in your life for a certain number of people to, to connect with and, and spend time with and grow deep with and, and you know, it's very easy to get a nice comfy circle of people who do that. And like, if Jesus had got himself a nice comfy circle of people, there wouldn't have been zealots, tax collectors, fishermen, and, and you know, a regular feed of Pharisees that he was eating with. You get the impression he wasn't super comfy there, but he went. Generous with his presence, perhaps, is the way to put that. And yes, even with his life. Indeed, when, when, we, when he went to the cross, it was the ultimate act of generosity that we see there. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange, right? He generously gives his righteousness and, and instead receives all of the horror of our sin. And it's all, like, like he gets all of its punishment as well. Everything that we deserved, all so that he could give us his righteousness. Praise God, Jesus did not hold back but gave it all to save us and to bring glory to God. And, and you know, you and I are not called to be the sacrifice for the sins of others. Um, praise God. Uh, we couldn't do that. Uh, the, the problem is we have our own sins and, and we are completely insufficient. But nevertheless, being a disciple of Jesus, which is what you are if you trust in him. There's not two types of Christians, the disciples and the others. Disciple is the New Testament word for a Christian. Being a disciple of Jesus is a call to follow him, to live out the sacrificial generosity of Jesus. This is across the New Testament. I mean, isn't, isn't the point of that passage I read you before in 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul talked about the generosity of Jesus, isn't it the point of it that he's trying to get across there is that we should follow our Saviour in being generous to others. That's what he's trying to encourage, right? There are so many places that we could go in the New Testament to see how this worked out in the early church. Think about, think about the churches in Acts, right? Where the rich are selling all that they have and giving to others. Everyone is, in fact, so, so, that, so that everyone has enough. Think of people like Paul, right? Who, would, who, who gave up his livelihood and gave up his, his life, indeed, uh, and to, to share the gospel with others, spent the remainder of his days doing it. And, and when he went and proclaimed the, gospels to, uh, the gospel to others, often um, he would, even whilst he was there, not even get them to pay him for it. He would, he would work another job on the side so that, they so that they were least burdened and most likely to be able to hear the good news effectively. Works, it works its way down from, from the big narratives of the New Testament right down to the little bits of the letters of the New Testament. Um, you know, consider what Paul says to believers who used to be thieves when they get saved. Uh, over, over in Ephesians, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, sometimes we kind of act like the verse ends there. And, and, and like, you know, maybe some of you didn't get saved out of thievery, but it's okay. The, the, the principle applies. You know, kind of God saved you out of dishonesty and evil into honest labor. Um, but that's not, that's not the completion of the Christian life, do you see? Like, the fullness of it is not be an honest laborer. 
Paul says that the honest work is so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Those who are saved are to be moved from selfishness, not just out of selfishness, but into radical generosity. As we come toward the close today, and I know what you're thinking, like he hasn't even mentioned the Bible passages that we read. What are you talking about? Um, I, I want to draw our attention to two examples. Oh, there they are. Two examples that we find of this in the New Testament. Two vivid pictures of the generous living that God calls us to, that God looks on and says, that's, that's how it should be done. That's right. That is, that is joyfully selling all that you have in order to have the field and the treasure. They are the ones that we heard read for us earlier in the service by Philip. Uh, first, there's this moment in Mark chapter 12. I love this passage. Um, there's been moments when this has brought tears to my eyes, this passage. Uh, remember, this happens right toward the end of the ministry of Jesus. Okay? Like, this is in the midst of, of madness happening. He's, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He's surrounded by everything that the world calls good trying to destroy him. The religious leaders are there, and he's spending a lot of time denouncing them, and they're spending a lot of their energy and time on trying to catch him in his words, trying to corner him, and, and ultimately trying to kill him. The rich are there, and they are, they are being generous in a worldly sense. Like, like, you imagine these guys coming up to the offering box at the temple, and like I, I think of it, and I'm like, wow, I'd probably feel like they were really generous. Like, there's people putting large sums of money in, right? You know, imagine, I don't, I don't want to pick anyone out, but imagine we had someone here who happened to be a tech billionaire. You know, um, what's his name? Elon. Elon's here. Pops in for the week. Um, and he's installing the batteries. And, uh, and, and, and Elon drops a cool, you know, five million in the offering box, which we would have to grow significantly larger to the box, literally. Um, you know, and we might be like, wow, you know, imagine what we could do with that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. The church renos, the new church building's on the way, right? Like it's, it, not saying that's how we'd use it, don't, yeah, okay. But, um, but that's the kind of thing that's happening here. They're giving large sums of money, Right? And Jesus looks at them, and it's not them that he says is doing it right. Like, he basically just ignores them. He doesn't say they're doing it wrong. He's just like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> he looks at, and he sees a poor widow come up and, and, and put in two little copper coins into the box. And you've got to imagine the guys emptying the box later that day, you know. And, like, they might have just missed these. So they sunk to the bottom, you know, small things sink to the bottom, and... And they're like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll just get them next time. If, the, if your Bible has footnotes, it probably says that these two copper coins um, were, were worth about one sixty-fourth of a day's la uh, wages for a labourer at the time, i.e. not very much. And Jesus says, she put in more than all of them. How can that be? Does it just mean you just got to put in little amounts? Like, no. Um, 
doesn't make sense. Like, like the, the lesson, understand, we're very tempted to go like temple church correlation here. That's not the point. The point is generosity of heart and living, not, not put in money in the offering box today. Live generously. But it doesn't make sense to us in a way, does it? Like, because it's, it's the sweep it away amount, you know? But, but it does make sense because remember, God owns the cattle on a thousand hilltops. God owns everything. The money was his to start with. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. Doesn't need you to be generous in any way. He gains nothing out of it. But he calls us to follow Jesus in generosity, not just in giving money, but in genuine, generous-hearted living it's part of us being transformed to be who we were made to be, giving as an act of worship, of worshipful dependence on God. And that's, that's where this widow stands out. She has generosity that cuts. She loves God more than the money, and she demonstrates it by giving all that she had to live on, Jesus says. And so she gave more in the eyes of God than all the others because she gave in a way that abandoned herself and followed Jesus for the glory of God. And in Hebrews 10, just humor me, this is our last bit. Um, this is such a beautiful example. Like, like, if you take a prayer point home from today's service, feel free to take home, please feel somewhere between free and obliged to take home this prayer point. Pray that we would be like this. Lord, would this be the heart that characterizes this church? The author is writing to Christians who have been called on in the past uh, to, to support their brothers and sisters who are in prison, jailed for their faith. And he says that when that happened, probably in our minds the worst thing imaginable was the result. They were publicly shamed for it. They were sometimes even punished or jailed themselves, sharing in the same punishments, for being generous with those Christians who were imprisoned. Their own possessions were stolen and plundered by the people around them. And then we read this amazing, baffling sentence. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Remember, remember the parable, like of the guy who finds the treasure in the field and in his joy sells all that he has to have it? This is it lived out, right? Here it is. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the generosity? They rejoiced at the plundering of their property. Why? Because they knew, in fact, it acted as a confirmation for them that they had gained the treasure that is in Christ by grace. They had a better possession, an abiding possession, one that could not be taken away, something that can't be plundered or stolen. And so no matter the cost, they generously follow Jesus. So, 
Let me end with four questions today. I'm just going to throw them at you. Does the radical generosity of Jesus lead you to be radical in the giving of your time? Like, it might be worth sitting down and thinking through, how do my weeks look? And what gets the, the king's share of my time? Does the radical, sorry, does the great treasure that is yours in Jesus use, lead you to be radically generous with your money? Do you let the cross of Jesus lead you, move you to the point that you are radical in the use of your presence, your, your emotional capital, your, your relational abilities? You know, like we talked about earlier, that, that circle, finite circle of people that you can involve in your life, do you use it generously? Finally, does the act that Jesus, sorry, the fact that Jesus has brought you into the household of God. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. He's called us sons and daughters. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And he will take us to be with him, that we might be where he is also. Does the does the fact that Jesus has brought you into the household of God lead you to be radically generous in your use of your dining room? There is perhaps, I think, no clearer barometer of the generosity of the heart than whether you are welcoming people into your home and your life, especially to your meals. There's been something special about meals since the beginning was the first thing that God gave us to do in worship of him the choice that he gave us to make in worship of him eat this don't eat that do it together as a couple figure it out there is something so powerful that happens when Christians welcome others into their lives God has welcomed us in are we seeking to generously welcome in the lost I don't know about you, I need prayer for this. I know about us, I'm going to be honest. We need prayer for this. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we are so profoundly grateful for your radical generosity from the heart. You did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied yourself, taking the form and likeness of a man and, and lowered yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You gave the riches of heaven for the, for the squalor of a stable and the nails of the cross. And Lord, we, in our gratefulness, we just pray that your spirit would move in us and that you would lead us to be a people moved to generosity by your infinitely greater generosity. People who follow Jesus, 
people who sell all that we have in order to have the treasure in the field, people who are willing to give of our time and our presence and our money and our lives because you have been so good to us and because we know we have a greater possession and an abiding one. We pray it in Jesus' beautiful, generous name. Amen.